The following sermon was delivered on November 15, 2020 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Ministerial assistant, Mr. Zachary Groff, gave this exhortation entitled, A Suffering Leper Meets the Compassionate Christ on Mark 1, 40-45. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Quarantine, that's a word we're all familiar with at this point. In fact, we just heard about a local congregation here in our own presbytery just a few miles to the south of us that has had to quarantine themselves out of a worship service this morning because of COVID-19. Well, the quarantine restrictions around a leper in ancient Israel were much, much more severe. We're not talking about two weeks without symptoms. We're talking about a lifetime, a lifetime of alienation, not only from God's people, but from the worship of God himself. There were a number of Old Testament passages I could have taken you to to set the context for Mark chapter 1 about what a leper had to deal with. I could have taken you to Leviticus 13, where it details uh, how to check for leprosy, and then what you had to do to separate the leper from the community. I could have taken you to that account in uh, in Kings or Chronicles about King Uzziah who presumed to enter into the worship of God in a way that in which he was not authorized and then removed himself leprous for the rest of his days. An otherwise righteous king who was then consigned to his palace and functionally ignominy for the rest of his life. I could have taken you to the account in Moses' own life of his dear sister Miriam being struck with leprosy for her obstinance and rebellion against her brother's authority. And then the intercession of Aaron and Moses on her behalf and God's gracious healing of her. Any of those would have been appropriate to set a subtext for Mark chapter 1. But I took you to Numbers chapter 5 because it emphasized the one fact that is all important. And that is that leprosy was not to cohabit, to be in the same space as where God's presence dwelt. And that's the problem of the leper in our passage today. Well, with all of that set down, kind of his background, I want to show you that Mark's gospel shows us, Christ the Son of God, as the Son of Man, promised by the prophets, ushering in the kingdom of God through healings and exorcisms, and especially the climax of this great first chapter, the healing of the leper in verses 40 to 45, cementing Christ's reputation as a miracle worker and setting the stage for the great opposition that will come in the next chapter and continue through the rest of the gospel until his crucifixion, yes, even after his resurrection. Part conquest and part rescue mission. Jesus' earthly ministry reestablishes for the people of Israel, for God's covenant community, the way to God. And by the end of the gospel, Christ is shown to be the fulfillment of Israel's hopes to do what? To dwell with God, to be with him, that he would be in their midst. Yes, it's unexpected. Mark is full of irony. We see it even in this passage, and I'll highlight that when we get to it. But even, um, even here, we begin to see a glimmer of how Christ fulfills for Israel all their hopes and dreams to dwell with God in fullness of joy. Now, he does this in a manner which they do not expect, not as a political conqueror, not as some kind of military messiah, but no, as the son of man, 
come to lay down his life to make clear the way to God. The, the main proposition for our text this evening and what I really seek to impress upon you from the leper's experience is that through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, earthly sufferers draw near to God in his glorious kingdom. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, earthly sufferers draw near to God in his glorious kingdom. And we'll look at this under three headings. Uh, Printed in your bulletin for you if you want to follow along. We're hopefully just clear from the text. First, in verse 40, the leper's earthly suffering. And then second, in verses 41 to 44, the Son of Man's divine compassion. And then thirdly, in verse 45, a picture of God's glorious kingdom. So starting with the leper's earthly suffering, I've already laid some background to this. But it's important to see what this particular leper does when he approaches Christ. So we can only imagine that Jesus with his disciples are between two villages on their way to fulfill this mission he lays out earlier in the chapter where he says in verse 38, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Keep in mind Christ's mission. He came to preach, not primarily to exercise demons or to heal or to cleanse, but to preach the kingdom. To preach that message in verse 14 and 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what he came to do. And so they're between point A and point B. And somewhere along the way, out in this wilderness, deserted place where there's no people to be found, a leper approaches them. And this leper, in his earthly suffering, has a desperate plight to bring before Christ the Son of Man and shows sincere faith in Christ the Son of Man in verse 40. First, his desperate plight. Leprosy, as I mentioned before, has uh, a lot of regulations surrounding it. We're not talking about six feet. Typically, it'd have to be at least 100 feet away. Uh, Even the Pharisees would go on and and rabbinic teaching after, in in the Second Temple period and later, after uh, after Christ's earthly ministry, you'd say, uh, don't be downwind from a leper, is what the rabbis would teach lest you catch a whiff of his leprosy. Not so much the physical horror of it, though leprosy is physically horrible, but because of the ceremonial aspect of it. It would make you unclean. Like a dead body, if you came into contact with a leper, you were not allowed into into worship with God's covenant community except by being cleansed first. But I don't want to skip over the physical horror of it because leprosy in and of itself gives us a picture of the defilement of sin and the nature of sin. It's important to understand what exactly a leper goes through. First of all, when you contract leprosy in first century Palestine or Israel, you don't ever lose it. There's no cure. It's an incurable disease. It sticks to you. It's evident to everyone who sees you. Starting with small patches of white flaky skin, something like dandruff, it then spreads to the decomposition of your fingers and your toes such that you lose the use of them. They fall off, break off. It's, it, it, you know, it, it gives me the mental image of some kind of walking dead, uh, undead being, some kind of zombie or something. Whereas they break apart, yet they still have this half-life living. And you think there would be pain, but there's not, really. There's just extreme neuropathy, numbness. 
If a leper put his hand into flaming fire, he would smell the stench of his burning skin before he would ever feel the heat of the flames. That's the physical horror of a leper. Leper steps on shards of broken glass and he would feel nothing in his feet if they had been struck with leprosy. That is, that's what's going on here. And isn't our sin like that? Without the saving power of Christ, as Dr. Piper explained even in the liturgy, presenting the gospel to us, reminding us of it, without that saving balm and work of Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit in us, we are as so many zombies. We are the walking dead. Now surely there's much pain among the unregenerate and those who are apart from Christ. And yet even that pain is confused, and it's pain for physical deprivation and not pain of separation because you're unaware even of what it is. You're numb to the fact of your sin. And if you come into this place, I don't want to make any assumptions with anybody here as well as I know some of you. Do you find yourself in that position? Are you aware of the depths of your sin and alienation from God? One thing we'll see about this leper here is he... Though he had leprosy, we don't know how far advanced, but he was aware of his spiritual condition, of his defilement, of his leprosy, and of his need to be cleansed. Leprosy being a spiritual deprivation, as I said before, and we could look at Leviticus 13, 45, and 46. We could look at Numbers 5, 1 to 4 again. But as a spiritual deprivation, the point that needs to be driven home is what comes out of Numbers chapter 5, and that is leprosy ranks up there with aspects of death. Discharge, which we can get into the details of that, but we won't. But most graphically, coming into contact with a dead person. If you have leprosy, it's as if you had touched death. And who is God? Who is the Holy One of Israel? As the demon identified Christ earlier in Mark 1, who is God? But he is life. God is life. And where life is to be found, there is not to be any death. And that's the purpose of the the banishment of lepers from the camp of Israel. That's the purpose of removing lepers from the covenant community, lest they would spread death in the place where life is supposed to reign. And this leper... In his desperate plight before Christ, the Son of Man, he knows of his dire situation. He knows that he has no hope of recovery except for the reports that he hears of a miracle worker who's casting out unclean spirits. And he thinks, perhaps this one can cleanse me. And beyond that, he doesn't say perhaps. He says, this one can cleanse me. I'm going to hunt him down and I'm going to beseech him to do it. So the leper, who has this desperate plight, comes before Christ the Son of Man with a sincere faith. Now why do I say that? Look at the verbs that are used in verse 40. The leper came to Jesus, and how does he come? In what manner? Beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, and addressing him, saying. Now some might want to rush a bit on the text here and say the falling on his knees before him shows a very pious uh, um, position of worship of Christ. This leper understood him to be the son of man. He understood him. That's going beyond what the text says. This is just an expression of respect. It's an expression of homage, shall we say. It's something that would be rather common. Now, I've never had anybody do that to me. I suspect unless you've served in a foreign mission field and probably not in Colombia, but maybe in the Far East, 
you would have uh, someone come and bow before you as an elder and just as a sign of respect or something. And that's what's being done here. And so the leper comes respectfully but earnestly, beseeching Christ, we're told, and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Literally, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. The leper gives a profession of faith. We don't know if he fully understood who Christ was. It's though this demon earlier in Mark 1 says, you are the Holy One of Israel. No, in the account of Christ's baptism, which we admittedly skipped in our reading earlier, uh, we have God from heaven thundering forth, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's not until Mark chapter 8, the great turning point of the gospel, that we have a clear declaration, you are the Christ. And even then, as it falls from Peter's lips in Mark 8, there's much understanding uh, yet to be gained. And that's why we have Mark 8 through 16, <laughs> because they didn't quite understand what that meant. So we don't know if the leper understands that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, but he certainly has a sincere faith. If you are willing, you are able to make me clean. He says it with confidence, without a shred of doubt. He comes before him. Notice he says, you can make me clean. Not you can heal me, but you can cleanse me. You are able to do that. So what's he looking for? Is he looking for physical remedy only? No. He's looking for spiritual remedy. He's looking for cultic sanctification. He's looking to be made ceremonially clean so he can do what? So he can worship God. That's what this leper desires. He desires to draw near to God, to have this stigma of death removed from him, purged from him that he might enter into God's presence and experience fullness of life once again. That his social uh, ostracization would be removed, he would be able to be brought back into the community, but more significantly than that, that he would worship God. I challenge you, believers and unbelievers alike, why have you come into worship tonight? Have you come here for some kind of physical relief? I promise you, we don't have much in the way of ability to give you diaconal assistance at the moment. So I suspect that's not why you came here as opposed to the big steeple church downtown or what have you. Or did you come to experience fullness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ? For that we freely offer to you. That Christ freely offers to you by his word. That is what is available here in the worship of God. So we see the leper's earthly suffering and his great desire and his great faith in Christ. And then we move and we see in verse 41, the son of man's divine compassion, extending through verse 44. We see Christ, the son of man's willingness to cleanse the leper. And then we see the demonstration of his ability to do the same. First, Christ, the son of man's willingness to cleanse the leper in verse 41. Moved with compassion. We could translate this because he was moved with compassion. Jesus, stretching out his hand, touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed, be clean, be made clean. By word and deed here, Christ's compassion is demonstrated. If you have an NIV, it will say, uh, because of his indignation or moved with indignation, they're taking a different textual basis with, with a different word that's used there instead of the word that's translated in almost every other English translation is compassion. But the, the point here is he, is he is moved in the depths of his being. It's, it's a rather human expression. 
moved in his bowels, like in, in his gut. That's what Christ is feeling here. We see his humanity on display. This compassion is human. But then, what does this tell us? What happens here? What does it tell us about the fullness of his person? Not merely his human nature, but also tells us something about his divine nature as the Son of God and as God the Son. His whole earthly ministry was motivated by compassion. All the miracles he's doing up to this point, and then especially this one, are the, uh, the works of God alone. The power of God alone can accomplish what he's doing here. And so we see not only Christ the man, but Christ the God the Son is moved with compassion for sinners, for defiled humanity, to see them reconciled to him in the glorious gospel of Christ. He's moved by compassion. He is willing. He says so. I myself am willing. And then he even touches the leper in the act of cleansing him. How remarkable is that? We don't know how long this man was a leper, but for however long it was, be it two weeks, two years, 20 years, whatever the case may be, he hasn't been touched by anybody. Have you ever gone an extended period of time where no one has touched you? No hugs, no handshakes, no kisses on the cheek. Maybe you had COVID this year and you had to quarantine. How miserable would that be? You'd be at your wit's end by the end of it. And all it would take is a handshake. You know, even, even now, in our casual encounters, and I hold nothing against anybody for this, but you go into a store, you go to church, and it used to be, just put your hand out, and you shake a hand, and it's done with it. And now it's like, are you shaking hands, you bumping elbows, doing the fist bump thing? You know, how, how are we doing this? How are we saying hello? And when someone says, oh, I'm being extra careful, you respectfully, you know, withhold, but you miss something there. You miss something of the connection. That's just a little taste of what this leper would have been experiencing. And then for Christ to reach out and touch him. He didn't have to. There are other healings when Christ, just by his very word, enacts the healing. Your faith has made you well. There are times when Christ heals somebody without even seeing them, being miles away. Go home, your son will be fine. By the time they get home, guess what? The son is fine. But here, Jesus unites his word with a touch now, there's some discussion, did this touch make Jesus Christ ceremonially unclean? And there are good Orthodox biblical commentators who say that it does. I believe it does not. And there are good biblical Orthodox commentators who say it doesn't make him unclean. Because the power of life in Christ and the power of holiness, being the Holy One of Israel, drives out the uncleanness before him. And it's impossible for him to be made unclean, at least in this instance here. But what it shows us, beyond anything else, shows us that God cares. God cares for those who are burdened and suffering in the plight of sin. He cares for those who, by their own doing or by his inscrutable providence, are suffering under the weight of sin and its defilement. And he cares for individuals. He cares for individuals. He healed Peter's mother-in-law a little bit ago of a fever, and here he heals this particular nameless leper of his leprosy and cleanses him. So I pose the question 
to you tonight that we posed to a number of people out in the neighborhoods a couple weeks ago, and that is, do you believe that God cares about you personally? And if, actually, almost everybody we spoke to said they did. Any, everyone we asked that question of said, yes, I do believe God cares about me particularly and personally, me as you know, Zach or Joe or Bob or Cindy or Lucy or whatever. But if they said no, I don't think God cares about me personally. I believe in the God of deism who sets it and forgets it, or the God of stoicism, which is just fate, or the God of you know, some kind of remote, even malignant force in the world. You could take them to Mark chapter 1 and, see, and say, look, not only does Christ come and cleanse a leper, but he cares so much that he touches him and establishes that contact, humbles himself, condescends, as our confession puts it, to express that personal care which he has. So here we see Christ, the Son of Man's willingness to cleanse the leper. If you've come here tonight and you're wondering about the things of God and the gospel, if you leave with one fact, and it's that Christ does in fact care for sinners and he cares for you personally, then take that up and rest on that. And then secondly, Christ the Son of Man's ability to cleanse the leper. Not only is he willing, but he's actually able to do it. Now imagine if Christ did this, and he reached out and touched the leper and said, I am willing, be cleansed, and then nothing happened. Be a big disappointment. I heard from one of our professors in a chapel uh, this, this past week. His son was born uh, with... with Basically, uh, basically born blind and for his whole life has been suffering with eyesight and recently got a surgery where he's recovered almost all of his eyesight. It's, it's really a wonderful uh, thing. Can't call it a miracle because it was through ordinary means, but it was certainly better than even the doctors expected and we can give praise to God for that, working through his providence. But the professor told a story. Uh, his son goes uh, to this Christian high school and they had some kind of um, charismatic speaker come in, faith healer type. And the guy at the end of the, the talk, the speaker says, there's somebody here who needs a healing, which is a typical thing that they say. And, um, and this professor's son goes up, and he has real thick glasses on, and he says, all right, what, do you, what, what is the healing you need? He said, well, I, I've been born blind. He said, all right, take off your glasses, and you'll be able to see. And now our professor did a good job of catechizing his son, because his answer to that was, uh, I'll ask my dad when I get home. <laughs> So he gets home, and, uh, and um, we were told this. The father says to the son, uh, son, if, if he healed your eyes, you would, you would have had to take your glasses off to get home because you wouldn't have been able to see with them on. And likewise, the leper would have known if it didn't work. In fact, what he asked for when he said, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean, he was asking for something immediate, an immediate cleansing, not some kind of progressive, gradual thing. We see that in healings later on as people leave Christ and then progressively they're cleansed. I think another leper, but in this instance, this leper was asking for immediate, evident, obvious cleansing, and that is precisely what happens because Christ is able to do it. Look at verse 42. In typical Markan vocabulary, immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. It's like the leprosy has a personality. Gets up and goes. Gets out the door. Realizes it's unwelcome here. And gets pushed out. Thomas Chalmers spoke in his most famous sermon. as a Scottish Presbyterian minister of the expulsive power of a new affection. When the spirit comes into your life. 
and gives you a love for Christ, all other affections are just pushed out. Well, here we have the expulsive power of the cleansing of God. Anything which makes unclean is pushed out. It's no longer welcome here because Christ is able to cleanse the leper. And the leper here is proven right. His faith is, in a small way here, made sight. He believed Christ could do it, and here it was. It has happened. And dear Christian, as you go through trials and tribulations this week and this year, certainly 2020 has been riddled with them, and I anticipate 2021 will not be much better, but we can hope. But as we face those down, we should rest in the fact that Christ is who he says he is. And if you believe him to be God the Son and the Son of God, then he is who you believe him to be, and he will be proven so. He will be proven so when your faith will be made sight, just as this leper experienced in time, so we will experience in eternity. We have this great hope set before us. But not only is Christ able to push out the leprosy, but notice he says to him, uh, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is very interesting. Why does Christ do that? There are two things I really want to highlight on this. One is Christ's authority over, um, over religion, the outward religion, the external religion of Israel. He had all authority to direct the leper what to do for his cleansing. The details of it, and I'm going to spare you that as well, are in Leviticus chapter 14, I think the first 17 verses or so. We have details of what someone should do when leprosy has left them to be cleansed of their defilement. And Christ is tapping into that. That's the, sub, the subtext for his, uh, his direction here. And he's expressing his authority not only over the physical realities of leprosy as having the power of God, but he's also expressing his authority over the religious realities which this leper was concerned about, with which this leper was dealing. And so he gives him instruction there. But even more than that, the other thing I wish to show you is that Christ here not only moved with compassion for the plight of this man, but is compassionate at all for this man because he is desirous of an increase in the worship of God his Father. Christ's mission to come and preach, remember in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent from what? From your sins and your disbelief and your ignorance of God. Repent to what? To holiness, to faith in God, to knowledge of him, and then communion with him and worship of him. And you see Christ with urgency immediately sends him away with a stern warning to make no delay and to go and present himself to the priest to enter back into worship, to be restored into right relationship with God. Ah, Christ was perfectly obedient to his father, wasn't he? He comes and he does exactly what he was supposed to do. And he's perfectly loving of sinners and wretched humanity. And it is on this basis of his perfect obedience and his perfect love that then we make our appeal to repent and believe in the gospel. Because this is the gospel of a perfect Christ and a perfect Savior, one who is able to save sinners. If he was anything less, then all of our speech, all of our words, all of our appeals would be made void and be in vain. 
But here we have a perfect worshiper, the one perfect worshiper of God in the flesh, living on behalf of men. And what did our pardon of sin say, our assurance of pardon? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, and who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous, the perfect worshiper. And he himself is the wrath-bearer for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You see, this Christ came. He came not merely to cast out uncleanness with miraculous power, but he came to wash us in his blood, which flowed from Calvary's tree, which flowed from his side. He came to wash us that we might stand in God's presence evermore, blameless, undefiled, spotless, Well, now we get to the hard part of the text. Verse 45, we've looked at the leper's earthly suffering in verse 40. We've looked at the Son of Man's divine compassion in verses 41 and 44 and his perfection and his glory and beauty. But then we come to verse 45, God's glorious kingdom, a picture, an anticipatory picture of what God is doing in the world, that which is described in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Verse 45 of Mark chapter 1 then. Look at it with me. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely. We're talking about the leper. Where it is possible this could be referring to Christ, but it's most likely that this is referring to the leper. He went out and began to proclaim it freely, what had happened to him, and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they, talking about the crowds, the multitudes, the people, were coming to him from everywhere, from everywhere. We see in the first part the leper's restoration to the covenant community and his behavior there among people that just moments before he wouldn't be able to approach even within 100 feet or 100 yards or something. But then we also see the covenant community's response to the leper and hearing about what had happened to him and then taking action. Some commentators say that because of the leper's action, Jesus now, ironically, has to live the life of a leper. He's out in unpopulated areas. He's not able to go into the city. What was his mission? He wanted to go to the cities. He wanted to go into the villages to proclaim the gospel. And now all of that is messed up because of this leper. And you know what? Those commentators are right. But Mark is full of irony. And you see what happens here is Christ no longer has to go into the villages because everyone is coming to him from everywhere. Everyone is coming to him from everywhere. The leper goes, enthusiasm just filling his breast, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs this word, the news. He's spreading it around about this man who just pushed out his leprosy and made him clean so that he could then once again worship the Lord. And he's going around like a madman because he has been brought to life out of a condition of death, physically and ceremonially. Spiritually, he was alive because he had faith. But ceremonially speaking, he was as good as dead, and now he's back to life. Now, is he rebelling against God? Is he he scorning Christ's commands? This is hard to say. But what I will point you to is in Mark chapter 8, Christ's ministry is leading up to this, where he will say in Mark chapter 8, 
He will affirm what Peter says about him, that you are the Christ. And then he says, he warned them to tell no one about him because he knew people wouldn't understand it. But he immediately gives them a command. He immediately began to teach them in Mark chapter 8 that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then later on he says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So on one hand, he's saying, don't be ashamed of me. But on the other hand, he's saying, keep this a secret. And reconciling these two commands are rather difficult. Can we condemn the leper who is so clearly unashamed of Christ and what he's done for him? I don't think we can. I don't think we can condemn him. And yet, can we say that he kept Christ's command to not to tell anybody? I don't think we can say that either. It's an ambiguous situation. But the point here is that the leper's restoration to the covenant community is a response of one who has been brought back to life from the dead. How is it that you respond to the saving work of Christ in your life? Do you have an earnest impulse to share that with your neighbors, with your family members, with your friends, with your children? Or are you ashamed of it? Do you hide it? Now, J.C. Ryle makes the point in his expository thoughts in the Gospel of Mark on this passage that there is a time and a place for everything. There's a word in season, and then there's an unseasonable word, and we wish to avoid speaking an unseasonable word and be wise in our speech. But, oh, how we can commend this leper's enthusiasm and excitement for Christ and seek to imitate that, even as we seek to be obedient to Christ and wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But the, the real interesting development here in verse 45 is the covenant community's response then to the leper at the end of verse 45. Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Commentators call this passage, verses 40 to 45, the climax of a very exciting chapter. Healing after healing, you have his baptism, you have his calling, you have John's ministry, and yet this is the climax. Why? And it's because of this last little clause. They were coming to him from everywhere. It anticipates everything that Mark's gospel is about. Mark relies heavily on Isaiah, and Isaiah's great message over and over again is that which is introduced in Isaiah 2 2, and that is that all nations will stream to it, it being Jerusalem, the temple, the mountain of God. And here we have that being anticipated for us in its reality and where everybody was coming not to the temple, physical temple, not to a physical mountain, not to a physical Jerusalem, but to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the fulfillment of all of these things. They were streaming to him and not just from one village or one town, but from everywhere, everywhere. We serve the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who gave every family under heaven its name. We serve the Lord who has a mission for global, worldwide salvation, to save out of every tongue, tribe, and nation a people for himself. And this is a radical message to the Jews. They thought they were God's chosen people. 
They thought they alone had the oracles of God. They alone had the way to God. And yet, Christ comes not for them only, but for everyone everywhere. And that is being anticipated here in this passage in a very small measure, in a very small, cloudy, dark fashion, which will get clearer progressively as the gospel advances and really comes to a head in Mark 15, verse 37 and 38. It's the crucifixion scene. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And then we have an interesting detail here. Immediately, in verse 38, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then verse 39, when the centurion, wasn't a Jew, he was a Roman, a Gentile, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, the first profession of faith after Christ's death, truly this man was the Son of God. What is Mark seeking to tell us then? His whole gospel comes to that point, including the passage in chapter 1, which we read and which we're studying tonight. What Mark is showing us is that Christ is coming. He's replacing the temple, and he's going to all nations and drawing all men to himself. And so here we are in Cashable, South Carolina, the middle of nowhere compared to Jerusalem, with a diverse group of people from many different nations, even in this small assembly of 33 individuals. Look around. We're from all over the place. Here we are talking about Jesus Christ, a Jewish man from northern Israel in first century Palestine, as God the Son, the Son of God, come to save sinners. I would contend verse 45 is an unmistakable anticipation of everything that's to come, not just in Mark's gospel, but in the rest of the New Testament, in the rest of Christian history, redemptive history. In Christ, there is divine life as the leper experienced and the hope of nations as all men stream into the wilderness to dwell with him in a new exodus, in the creation and establishment of a new people of God. Well, the quarantine has ended for our leper here in uh, verses 40 to 45, this nameless man. We don't know the rest of his life. But his two-week quarantine is up, and he's able to re-enter society and enjoy fellowship And most importantly, he can now worship the Lord of life with all of his life. This is the state of restoration enjoyed by all those who come to Christ in faith. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, earthly sufferers and sinners draw near to God in his glorious kingdom, drawn from every nation under heaven. So as you come into this place tonight, what is your plight of defilement due to sin? Do you understand the urgency of your condition as a sinner and your need for a Savior? If you don't, well, now is the night. Now is the time to repent, to cry out to Him for salvation. If you are willing, you are able to cleanse me of my sin, O Lord Jesus Christ. You are able to welcome me into holy of holies, holiest places. And you can say that with confidence. Because who is this Christ? But he is a compassionate and divine Savior. He is not only able, but he is willing to save all those who cry out to him in faith. And so with Isaiah, we say, seek the Lord while he may yet be found. And toward what end? Well, life in his glorious kingdom. Mark, in twist of irony after twist of irony, is showing us the establishment of the kingdom of God, the breaking in of God's kingdom on earth. 
And we, 2,000 years later, are able to enjoy looking back at how it's advanced, even to the ends of the earth, even to Cashville, South Carolina, and the upstate of this glorious state. And so we look for hope to that future, that future consummation of that kingdom, when he will return again and draw all men to himself, savingly and for eternity. Will you be in that assembly? Will you be with that leper, standing with him, praising God in fullness of life? There's no other way but through Jesus Christ. And through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, you, even you, and me, we will draw near to God in that glorious kingdom. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.